Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Scottish Watches podcast. Normally the most petty and ill-informed Watches podcast on the internet. However, today, it could be argued we're going to make it less well-informed because he is English. <laughs> I mean, he's English in two counts. By name and by nature. By name and by nature. Uh-huh. Although he is in Edinburgh, so that's basically England. It is, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're going to try and raise the IQ level and the watch talk on today's show to at least above average. We'll try. So we welcome... I can never tell because it's like Ant and Deck. Are you Giles or are you Nick? I'm Nick. <laughs> the good brother. Exactly. Yeah, good yeah, brother. So because one because like Ant and Deck, one of them's got a drugs and alcohol problem. So is yeah, that's that, Giles. That's definitely that's, Giles. That's Giles yeah, 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 rather yeah, yeah, than yourself. Yeah. That's fine then. That's good. fine. So yes, welcome. Uh, we welcome Nick English from Bre- Actually, I would say from Bremen, but I've been listening to you on other podcasts. Okay, and the first question you need to settle is. How do you actually pronounce Bremen? We have a habit of phoning brands. And just seeing how they answer. And just answer. seeing how they answer <laughs> It's funny because it depends where you phone. So in America, yes. you get a very different um, response to, you know, phoning in the UK. But it's uh, a bit of a silent T. So, silent T. So, so Bremen is the... Bremen yeah, is, the, is so the, more of the French. But, but literally, we're not, we're not that... I think you you sort of give up fairly early on (laughs) correcting people (laughs) yeah exactly so well then we'll probably refer to it three or four different ways in the same way that the girls at 10 and 2 seem to have a different pronunciation of omega depending on what side of the bed they've woken up on yes uh, on any given day which brain cells are functioning we are here this must be the fifth time we've recorded at Chisholm Hunter must be our good friends uh, we've recorded Oris yes we hopefully, did, uh, hopefully, hopefully today's better than that one. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I'm staying very we, silent we, there. We, yeah. we, we, we caught them a little by surprise. Oh, did you? Yeah, oh, right. they, I don't think they knew. I think we need to warn you. Yep. Most watch podcasts are quite straight-laced. Yep. This is a bit like Top Gear for watches. Perfect, perfect. Okay. All on for that. Yep. So uh, think about it. Think about any swearing we can bleep out, so don't worry about okay, it. Okay, perfect. But yes. there is a reason that you are here at Chisholm Hunter. It's not just to meet us, which I know is obviously the, <laughs> no, the main that idea. that is the number one, number one ticket, exactly. <laughs> you know how to play the game. This is fantastic. So you're here because there's recently been a launch of a new watch from Bremont. So we'll start off with hey, the I like that pronunciation. That was good. I, I, I listen. Yeah, well done. Well, you've listened. You have. You've paid it. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a couple of reasons. One here, we're doing a talk with an incredible ambassador of ours, which we'll get on to in a minute, um, Brian, who, Brian Wood, who's the most interesting fascinating guy um and the second is we have launched a watch once a year we do a fun limited edition with a sort of charitable angle it's limited very you know to unlike low omega that do a limited edition every lunchtime uh, well you know there's was probably a couple we do but this is the only a year but this is probably well, the only one with a sort of charitable angle normally and um a lot more time and effort goes into the um uh, I suppose just the construction of this watch, and and we've done this will be the ninth in a in a run. It might be just a run of ten. We're 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 keeping quiet about that, but this is the ninth sort of historical limited edition we've done, and it's a limited edition which um, for us is based around, I guess what Giles and I find find interesting, and there's no rhyme or reason. We've done a number of different ones in the past, ranging from you know working with a first lead of the Royal, first sea lord of the Royal Navy and doing something with HMS Victory. And that funds from that watch went to restoring the, the ship, which is down in Portsmouth. All right. So original copper and wood from the Battle of Trafalgar. But, but they're not, 
we're not we're trying to design a watch here which isn't gimmicky at all it's you know if you look at it from the front there's no way you'd know that it had anything to hms victory it's just when you turn it over and you see the sort of something rather special in the back and we've done things with bletchley park so original parts of enigma machine built into the movement and wood from alan turin's hut and things like this so it's quite a fun I thing i don't even know that one. but they're passion projects uh -huh. and you know a lot of them raise quite a chunk of money for 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 good causes and this one, the reason we're up here tonight, we've done a, a, a fun one. Our background is very much aviation, restoring old aircraft and things. And, and uh, Howard Hughes in the aviation world is a bit of an icon. Yeah. Um, obviously, as a personality, but also in terms of... It's like, it, it was like the Adrian Barker of, of his time. So like, okay. I think Bark and Jack, what Bark and Jack is to Scottish... Uh, horology, mm -hmm. uh, Howard Hughes was to American aviation. He was he was a complete innovator. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't I don't know Barker. Who is he? You don't know Adrian. No, you no, never Adrian? met Adrian. You never met Adrian. No, yeah, well, Adrian. We, we, he's a very insignificant YouTuber. Yeah, you don't need to worry. All right, about I'll, I'll have to you'll, look you'll, him up. You'll, no, ne you'll never you'll never hear anything of Bark and Jack. <laughs> well, I better, better have done my homework. I know. I all gonna have a listen. But um, no, so he was an incredible pilot, innovator in the true sense. You know, he came up with systems and. Really fascinating stuff in the aviation world. It was still used today. Uh -huh. But he designed one aircraft, which was the Americans. It means a huge, huge amount in the aviation mm -hmm. world. And that was the Spruce Goose. And so mm -hmm. we've done a watch based on that, which is, um, I think, a very beautiful watch. But you turn it over again. There's a bit of a secret when you turn it over and you see what, what's behind it. We see this original wood from the Spruce Goose, which is actually birch. But it's yes. all beautifully... Um, uh, the marketry that goes into the rotor. It's just quite fun. And, and, and how do you uh, approach someone that owns a historical aircraft and say, excuse me, we'd like to cut a bit of your historical aircraft and stick it in the back uh, of the watch? How well, does listen, that conversation go? Well, first of all, you can't really have that conversation. Uh -huh. <laughs> and it's more, I think it's um, because we've done a handful of them before. Uh -huh. um, and we, Charles and I grew up in the mm -hmm. sort of the air showed world and, yeah. the, and the flying world. We know a lot of these people. Right, okay. And they so know it's, you're it's not, not going, what you know. It's who you and you know, know they're not going to you're not going to bastardize their history. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's quite important. Okay. Or not like Roman seen... Jerome or somebody. <laughs> well, you know, stick, a, you stick, just... stick a bit of the Titanic in your watch. <laughs> and this is stuff. For example, this wood came from when they opened up the fuselage to allow tourists to go and see. I mean, this thing, the tailplane is eight stories high. It is. I mean, it quite is a sizable watch. The, the quite most a, quite enormous a sizable plane. It's quite a big watch as well, but it was quite a sizable plane, and it was a water plane as well. Seaplane, yeah. Seaplane, so, you know, he didn't make life easy for himself. We know the reason. Did you know the history of it? So it was, was it to move stuff around in the war? So we were desperate for, you know, American supplies, and every ship, every other ship that was sent across was torpedoed by the U-boats, and so they're losing six, 700 of these ships in a very short period of time. So they said, right, if we can fly over this, and, and a troop carrier capable of taking 700-odd troops and and two or three Sherman, I mean, tanks. It was designed for that, but it was supposed to take two years, and he took five years, and the war finished two years <laughs> before he finished it. That's what the whole film with Leonardo DiCaprio is about. It's about this quirky guy and, and him designing this airplane, which um, is revolutionary, but two years too late. That, that remind, that sounds like the... Uh, sounds like the watch industry. I was going to say... Does it sound well, like, no, does it's very similar. Does it it's Zenith Inventor to you. Yeah, don't, don't. Oh, <laughs> Supposed no. to be out by October. But total perfection. still not... Hold on a second. Is there anybody here from Chisholm Hunter? No, I don't see them. No. Where's my Zenith? That's what I want to know. Anyway. 
Right, sorry. <laughs> he gets a bit distracted. Yeah, distracted. Yeah, that's fine. He's, he's, he's old. It's easily done. You know. So, for the guys that obviously listen to the podcast that don't know about Bremont, don't yeah. know the history, can you give us the sort of elevator pitch? Yeah, the two-minute job. Where it came, well, not even the two-minute. Give us the five, ten-minute version of it. Okay, okay. So, Giles and I sort of grew up with a father who is a passionate engineer. So, aeronautical engineer, studied at Cambridge, did his PhD there as well. And we grew up in a workshop environment where a form of childcare is being dumped in there by a mother and restoring old planes, which still fly, cars, motorbikes, um, boats we sailed around the world. There are lots of different things, but one of his passions were clocks and watches. So he paid for his way through university by buying a grandfather clock or something, which didn't work, making it work. And obviously the value doubles by making, you know, selling a clock that works, obviously. The original flipper. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was a proper <laughs> grandfather clock. It was. It was like wheeler dealers. Like tossing so, the caber, flipping the grandfather clock. But he paid for his way through through uni. So, mm-hmm. um, so we got interested in clocks, and he loved all things mechanical. So that was his passion. The other passion in life was flying. So we're all sponsored through university by the Air Force, and um, he grew up when we were younger doing a lot of display flying, air show flying, um, but also restoring old aircraft. Um, and then Giles and I are very lucky when we got to our late teens, early 20s, we're, we're flying and displaying these aircraft right. as well. And then I had a nasty accident with him in an air show scene back in 1995. I broke 30, 40 bones. Uh, he died in it. And that was a bit of a tipping point for Giles and I in our lives. So we always thought we were going to join the Air Force and go a certain route. And suddenly life became quite short. And um, we slightly threw caution to the wind and we went and got involved with the business restoring historic aircraft and had it's a bit of form of sort of formal therapy for us really um but we had this desire we still had this we had a father's collection of watches which he left which at the time this is quite fascinating at the time you know they were the the most amazing things in terms of god this is so priceless this is so special the more you know about watches realize actually they weren't that special but they're all mechanical but they all have an incredible story. So this is the one that he flew when he won this competition in the RAF, or this is the one that he sailed around from here across the Biscayne. Or they all had a story, and it became really important to us that it wasn't about the value of the watch, it was about what the watch represented and the history behind it. So we loved this. And one thing he used to talk about loads and loads is the history of British watchmaking and talk about John Harrison. You know, The world yeah. sets his time by Greenwich. It doesn't set it by Geneva. You've got... Tompion Mudge, you know, 60% of the innovation in any mechanical watch came from British shores and go on about this. And, um, and it was fascinating to listen to. And so Giles and I, when you know, we were doing this aviation business, and actually, why don't we you know, see what we can do in terms of British watchmaking? We didn't want to buy a brand. It wasn't about going off. And I think even Harrison's name was available back then. And or Mudge or Tompion, you know, nobody's Use these, and I think for quite good reason. Making make note, Ricky. Scottish watches. <laughs> do get watch, it, do Harrison. it, do it. But the point is, it's slight sacrilege, really, because yeah. if it had been our great great grandfather yeah. and been in the family, and then I can understand it. it's a lovely story. But if it's you're taking some master like Harrison and saying, right, we're the next Harrison, it's slight bullshit, isn't it? Right. Really. So yeah. we didn't want to do that, and and we went off to Switzerland. Um, we set up a little workshop. We had two Swiss guys, Giles and I. And we literally blank sheet of canvas. I said, how are we going to learn how to bring watchmaking back to the UK? What year was this? um, This is 2002. And the worst thing is we told our wives that it'd be 
sort of a year and a half to make our first watch. And then five <laughs> years later, we still hadn't launched uh -huh. because... Five it, times as long and 10 times more expensive. Uh, it is. It's that we have a three times rule. Right, okay. So the three <coughs> times more expensive, three times harder. And, you know, <laughs> but it, it, it does, um, it took time, but it was understanding the whole Swiss supply chain, which is fascinating. And we know it bloody well now. You can imagine because you're designing building. <laughs> we, we know it well. Um, but back then we didn't. We got to understand what went into it. And we wanted to produce a watch which was beautifully, beautifully engineered that any good watchmaker mm -hmm. could take the back off and go, wow, that's really nice um, for that price point. So finishing and the movement makes a huge, huge difference to price, which people forget about. You know, the fact it's, you know, we want it to be all chronometer rated. The, the case had to be seven times harder than normal yep. steel. We did a lot of techie, geeky stuff, which we would understand and hopefully that story would gradually get out there. Yeah. Um, but the main thing is we'd take them to good watchmakers and say, what do you think of this watch? And they say, actually, this is really, really beautiful. And that was the key. But that took five years to do. Um, but you also want to produce a watch, which was um, you could pick up in 20 years' time. And it, was, it didn't look fashion. It didn't look, which is really nice because now we sell watches to people who they're 21st or they're 18th if they're lucky enough to be given one by the father or mother or but then also get that 85. In Ricky's case, Guardian. Yes, Guardian. Yeah, care yeah. off for you. Care, care, care worker. <laughs> care worker. So, but you get, the, or, or the 85-year-old who comes into one of your boutiques and says, oh, I really love this watch. Mm -hmm. And that means so, so much. So the point is that it wasn't based around fashion or yep. it had to be something which is, red, uh, it sounds quite corny, but timeless in design. So off we went. And, and we, um, yeah, it took us five years till we launched our first watch. So I was having a conversation day before yesterday with someone that's based in Switzerland that owns a brand. It's a fairly, it's a reasonably new brand. They make between three and 5,000 watches a year. And they were expressing their frustration being Swiss, based in Switzerland, and just how difficult it was for them to get going and the barriers they came across. What barriers just, did they say? Well, they were just sense? things like getting hold of machinery, People who were well, sick. Well, people they're who finding were, it hard in Switzerland. It's well, like so I, not doing I, I, in the UK. I, I, and that, that was going to be my question as to what were the. Because we hear stories about this all the time of not of a brand your scale, but of micro brands. Now, in their case, it might be getting the guy in Hong Kong or China to yeah, pay them attention. Yeah. But those brands that are actually trying to engage with the old fashioned Swiss watch industry yeah. and have difficulty even just getting a lathe. It was a struggle. So we luckily had a couple of people we knew mm -hmm. who would introduce us, but right. it's been 15 years of relationships. Yeah, It's taken a long, long time, and um, you can't expect to go in, first of all, uh, to a movement house mm -hmm. and then expect just to sell you something unless you're putting a lot of money down mm -hmm. up front. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the movement supply is based on relationships. Um, when we started, the whole Etta thing was starting to kick off um where the strangling strangling and they said look we're not going to supply to anyone so we we use five or six uh, we're in obviously the process of doing our own um which will hopefully be out to see next year um but that's taken many many three many many years oh God, <laughs> definitely three times that, that three times we'll wrong. To that definitely appeals to that. but you know we use four or five different movement houses but they're all relationships we've built up over 15 years and what's the most ridiculous thing that you have come across in terms of being denied access to just for reasons that completely baffled you? I don't think it's less... People will say they can work with you, 
but then you've got to know your stuff so you don't end up getting delivered stuff which is substandard. You know, picking a pork. Exactly. So you're you're they're dealing with some very well known big brands who clearly know their stuff, which is great. Um, and so when you start off, and for us again, that's 15 years ago. You've got to make sure that um, you're not big hoodwinked. That actually they've got these parts left over, which are great. Use these, which obviously they're left over because for a very good reason. <laughs> it's that sort of thing is the bit you've got to be very, very careful of. And then, you know, MOQs, minimum order quantities mm. and stuff like this, you've got to be very careful so you don't end up with, which is why... And so have you ever, have you ever like, received an invoice in the post uh, expecting that what you'd ordered was 100, when in fact there was a minimum order quantity and it was 1,000 that you'd ordered? Oh, God, you know, you could be so, take you four so years to get you I mean, that's the, the biggest barrier to entry in this, mm -hmm. in this market is, you know, stock. You know, if you're doing two different types of lines of watches or two different watches and you've got those parts and it's limited and it's then that's one thing. So you need to have a big range, millions and millions of pounds worth of stock. So you've got to be very, very careful how you, you know, that's an interesting thing about setting up a brand like this. And, that, and I think that's a big barrier to entry to, to grow in this industry. And so at what point did you decide, right, OK, let's seek outside investment, get this all together and actually shoot for the moon effectively? Quite early on, the decision for us was quite clear because we didn't want to be wholly dependent on Switzerland. Right. So, of course, we have Swiss suppliers and we have some lovely relationships I was talking about there. But we also, when we made the decision, and that was a couple of years after we started, okay. not the decision is always going to be there, but when he allowed us to, to bring all of the assembly in-house in the UK. So the design was happening in the UK, the assembly was happening in the UK. And it was a, two or three years later after that, we started manufacturing a lot of our parts in the UK. But as soon as the assembly came in-house, you have a lot more control, a lot, lot more control because you, um, but it's expensive and you're managing people, you're training, where do you find watchmakers in the UK? Yeah. You have to start your apprentice schemes. So you have to get a certain amount of scale, I believe, to, to do that. And this is why most brands, out there outsource all of that you know some of the big brands some of the ones you've talked about today they outsource everything and you know to the white label companies that will you know make us a thousand of those please but then i believe you lose a lot of the authenticity it's just purely a marketing machine you don't if you buy a bremont you can come along to the workshop you can see you can find from the serial number that girl or boy or bloke or actually sounds like we're just hiring uh, slave labor doesn't it no but you're <laughs> but that that particular not, watchmaker exit's coming you're not you know, going to be to anymore yeah yeah exactly <laughs> we can't we, no, we can talk, yeah but you know you can come and see the watchmaker who put uh -huh. it together and i think that's really quite special so that was a big lift for us and we realized that um also you can come and you know you can talk you can see that now you can come to bremont you can see that bar of metal going in that watch case that movement part being made and you can see that going into watch and the watchmaker and the testing. I mean, it's quite a special thing to see. And so from that point, you then made a decision. I need to refresh my memories to yeah. exactly what year to go for an in-house movement. Now, uh, it's, we've spoken about it on the show, and I think every podcast I've ever listened to that you've been on, it's been touched on about the whole in-house movement and all the oh, stuff gotcha, that happened yeah. a few years ago. So I'm sure you're quite fed up of that, so we'll not bother no, no, that. No, 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 no. It's... But obviously a decision was made at some point Let's go for an in-house movement. Let's invest in that. A number of years has passed. So the first question is, actually, when's it going to be available? But also, as you've invested in that money over the years, as you've seen the market change in terms of what people are demanding, do you reflect that it's still a good decision to go for your own in-house movement? Or is the market 
now taking a view that actually the likes of Salita and they're stepping their game up. They're actually we could have avoided all this heartache and uh, and expense I think, and just stuck no, with uh, export with uh, bringing movements in the house. Yeah, I think there's two things here. One is if you're selling a watch at a certain price point, um, at a certain number, you cannot um, make your own movement for that price point. It's impossible. So you need a Etta, Salita, or whoever it is behind you making uh, that particular thing, unless you're making hundreds of thousands of watches a year, or certainly you know hundred thousand plus. It's just really, really difficult to get the, the economies. You you have to be a uh, yeah a pretty mammoth brand. Um, you know, Salita are doing some interesting stuff now, uh, as are uh, many of the other movement houses. Um, and this is why a lot of the, the large brands, more of the entry-level price points, um, you know, most of the top, top 10 Swiss brands, you know, they're, you know, a lot of the lower price point ones are Salita-based or, and they've modified it, and, which is what we do. Um, but then as you grow, you, as the price point increases, you can do more and more interesting things. Um, and so our movement... And, and also, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, what does the whole in-house thing mean? And, and that's, that's where we slipped up because the more you know, the worse it gets in a way. Because you know <laughs> there's a lot of smoke and mirrors going on, huge in number. And, you know, what's a manufactured movement, you know, manufacture, whatever you want to yeah. call it. What's an in-house? What's a proprietary movement? What's, there's so many different <laughs> words. And we did use the wrong term. But in the press release, this we're talking about the right flyer watcher. In the press release, we said we're doing a, a movement, and we called it in-house, and it was a proprietary thing with La Jus Paré, but we mentioned La Jus Paré, but that in-house bit was picked up because it's totally bespoke to us, and we are making some of the parts in that movement. Um, but I suppose in-house means every single part, which again, slight bullshit, because we know that doesn't happen yeah, really at all. Rolex, Seiko, no, but, that's probably about it, maybe even not. You know, so so oh, the, there so was the, a knowing link there. No, 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 no. But no, the point is, the more you know, yeah. the more. So that was a genuine slip up on our behalf. But when you know, when you've been in the supply chain for so many years, you go, well, this is actually not that far at all from the truth. So, so. And did you feel that there were people that were out to get you? Yeah, oh, definitely. From and I could, elsewhere in the industry. Oh, yeah, that no, saw, no, no. That saw you coming and were like, right, we've, 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 oh, got, no, no, definitely. we've got these guys. But then. You know, there's a lot of people saying they're doing in-house stuff now. And I tell you what, this would be a very interesting case study is take the movement parts, lay them all out and see how much they resemble other <laughs> movements in the marketplace. Yep. And you'll see the gear trains the same, the escapement's the same. What they've done is take parts and they've moved them around and that's mm -hmm. their in-house movement. Yep. So, so, but that, that's how... If there's any brands out there listening that would like to volunteer some stuff for us to take <laughs> no, apart, no, but it's, but Ricky's it's... a well-known watchmaker. His use of magnets is remarkable really? on watches. But do, do you know what I mean? So you, you, the problem is the more you get involved, and it's not about that. I, it, you could, there's a bit of too much snobbery out there as well. But um, so what we've done, we've worked for the last four or five years with an incredible guy called C. McDonnell, who he did the... You know the um, the perpetual for MBNF. He worked for Christoph Clary. He was the professor at Wastep for complications. Um, uh, he's from Northern Ireland. Uh, Peter Speak. You know he's done lots mm -hmm. of amazing stuff, and we've been lucky enough to have him for four years nonstop. And he's designed this movement, which we will hopefully have the prototype out next year. But again, we're not going to show anything until it's. But this this is on a whole nother level. So you can't compare it to. Um, sort of more of the entry-level movements. And are you building that to be the foundation of 
chronographs and perpetual calendars and it's it's quite cleverly designed so it's got 20 years of development in it and that's what's taken so long to do so there's some very interesting things we can do in terms of moving parts around within the movement without putting modules on which i love and yeah. um so there's lots of different functionality it's not chronograph um but because that's an, another thing and i think we're sort of trying to bite off the right amount but it's it's um it's a huge challenge you know i'd say 90 percent of the weight of it will be made in the uk um but you know there's parts we won't if the UK, if if the uk still exists that's true but so right we're going especially <laughs> the news today it's uh, um we don't quite know do we so um yeah, but it'd be... Um, You'd be able to say it's an English watch built by an English man, by a company oh, that's owned oh by someone. There we go. So you'll be all floated away all by yourself. I know, we will uh, be. We'll <laughs> be. But this is why building that new facility. So yeah. it's a bit of bit of everything. But tell us about that. That's uh, been quite an investment for the business, bringing... It's three, is it three spaces you're in just now? I wanted to know about the plane crash. Oh, well, that... that. So that, well, that wasn't a crash. That was a precautionary landing. That's that was, a very that's different... A precautionary that landing. Was, that was that's just a very different thing. That was the Rick, equipment. The little so, red so light was flashing saying you're running out of fuel uh -huh. so ditch it in a field or ditch it in the channel i think was the basic choice so when we we talked about earlier when giles and i set up the company we did not want to buy a brand yeah because we wanted to be able to build bremer on its own foundation and we couldn't be accused of taking someone else's history it was and we wanted to be able to do what we liked so if we did decide to do something with parts of spruce goose in back of it for for a charitable thing we could do it and we would you know you can't have graham or arnold or some of these actually i do like arnold watches but you know you couldn't have okay tompion turning in his grave i can't believe they've done that with my name you know we didn't want that good point um so for the first three years of bremel's existence we didn't even think about name funny enough it had the, all the original designs just had watch written on it. acme watches it was about like acme it really was so we just because it wasn't about that it's about just getting the product right and then when it did get come to the time when we had to come up with a name and it's hard because it's got to mean something to you it's got to look nice on a watch it's got to effectively timeless it's got to do, have all these things um our surname is english so having a British watch brand called English, I think, or an English watch brand called English, the irony, not I think. It's not going to sell well in Scotland. <laughs> it's not going to sell well in Scotland. I wouldn't be sitting here, would I? No. Um, but also, I think trademark, everything else would be a bit of a nightmare. Uh -huh. um, the English watch company, can you imagine? It just doesn't work. So we've thought about it long and hard. And what, other, what, what other names did you, did you try out? Because we're looking for some names for some things. What else? Really, really. I can't, you know, I can't on, even begin to list? tell you. I can't, it was things that meant things to us. So... I mean, we, yeah, we, you came name, up... we, we can name our watch after your wife if you want. That's fine. Oh, yeah. So go... we produce, so was it wife's names and kids' names? We, we're looking for a brand for our you know, Scottish watches company. Oh, do it, so, do it. So if you just, we, we will name it after your wife. Okay, that's perfect, fine. perfect. We'll that. That's okay. I'll, I'll give you the first... You don't have to go home soon. <laughs> I do, I do. Right, well, shut up. Let the guy speak. <laughs> no, no. So, um, when it, um, so when it came to it, we... You know, was it places we lived? Was it, you know, born and bred Cambridge, for example? You could have done all these different things, but it wasn't. And then uh, two years after my accident, um, we're very lucky as kids. We're very, very fortunate. And I wish I could give my kids the same responsibility our father gave us because we grew up in an environment. We lived on a farm and we'd have a, a little 1940s airplane, which I'd be 18 years, 17 years old. Giles would be 15, 16. And we'd fly off around Europe for three weeks by ourselves. And the only stipulation from our father was make sure you call your mum once a week. And that was the sort of responsibility to give us. And it'd be a map, a compass, and a watch. And that's how what got you around Europe. Um, and you'd head off trying to follow the 
Dover to Calais ferry because you wanted to, you realised that was going to Ostend halfway across. <laughs> Welcome so, to Zibruga. Yeah, it's like, damn, Belgium. damn, wrong way. <laughs> but, but that was the lifestyle we had. So we kept on doing these trips and we had friends who'd do it with and things. And two years after my accident, Giles got me back in the air quite quickly, six months. So I had metal everywhere. You know, I'm half metal. I really am. And he's taking me, would got me back up. So you, are, you, are you strictly in-house? <laughs> strictly. <laughs> in-house yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't know. It's, it's, <laughs> a, it's, a, it's a tough work. It's a tough conversation though. Um, but we, um, two years after my accident, we're doing a flying trip down through France and we're flying in weather we shouldn't have been in. And Scottish weather. Scottish weather <laughs> in Northern France. So we ended up having this precautionary landing and we landed in the field. And if you do that in America or England, <laughs> you buy stuffed. the, you know, you take the farmer's wife for a flight, you buy him a bottle of whiskey and you apologize and that's yeah. it. And they're normally fine about it. We've done it a few times because it's better to land under control than not in control. We're running very low on fuel. So we landed and it was in a plowed pea field. We landed, came to a halt. It's piss, pissing with rain. So we shouldn't have been flying anyway. And this guy came out and said, you can put the airplane in my barn. Yeah. And we thought, great, because in France, the airplane gets impounded by the authorities. It's very, very bureaucratic until they've worked out if it's safe to take off and it's illegal, basically. So it's a very different. So we just landed there and they thought, saw these dollar signs of, my God, this is going to cost us a fortune to get out of this. The chap who allowed us to push the airplane into his barn um, was such a sweet guy. And had our father lived for another 30 years, he would have been like this guy. You know, he had a, he had a workshop full of bits and he's a glider pilot. He loved all these. Um, he just, we just got on. We stayed, ended up staying with him three days. And, oh. and his name was Antoine Bremel. So when it came to naming the brand, it wasn't our family, but it reminded Felt us like very it. much. It, it was, and we kept in touch. He was 78 years old when we met him. He saw and heard about the first prototype watch, but sadly died before we, we launched the thing. So it's it a bit of, for us, it meant something. Yeah. And um, uh, yeah, we still makes us smile when we you know, think about him. So it's, it's, it's lovely. Brilliant. There we go. You have answered my question perfectly. There you go. There you go. Yes. So what, what year was that that the, the brand got its name? So probably 2005. So 2002, we started. 2005 is probably when we named it. And then our first watch sold in London when we opened with, I think it was the Watch Galleries. It was back right, then okay. on Fulham Road. Uh, we had our launch 2007. And so who, uh, that was the first watch you sold. Who would you say is, and I know that the answer will probably be there is no such thing as a standard customer. How would you say You know, I'm going to be really annoying say it's a bit of all of that yeah, because yeah. it depends on the watch. Mm-hmm. So if we're doing a watch with a, you know, beautiful Vaucher movement in it with, you know, <clears throat> um, moon phases and things. And it's a real watch lovers, you know, the finish is exquisite and um, that'll be very much coming from the watch. But you also get guys who just, I like the look of that. And, and so there is no one person, you know, a big chunk of our business is military around the world. Yes. So that they're buying it for a very different, different reason as well. Um, and then you have these ties with, uh, you know, we, we've been working with Jaguar for 10 years. So designing a you know, lovely range of watches with them, mostly based on their historical race cars, which was great fun. And their designer, chief designer, Ian Callum, who yep, it came from, you know, Aston Martin originally, where he designed the DB7, the 9, the Vanquish and things, and, or Boeing, or even, you know, Martin Baker is a big, big partner and they make 75% of the world's fighter ejection seats. And um, that was all about producing watch, which was so overly engineered it was ridiculous We'd go through all this testing the seats could and so if you see anyone with a red barrel on their watch it means they've ejected so that appealed to a whole load of other people but it, i think it's more the people who appreciate the engineering and more more than anyone else they when you come and see this is the 
thing about price point of watches and people look at it and go well it's that watch it's you know it's that price point you're competing with this you know people find it very hard to understand price points and watches but it's yes i mean i've criticized bremen for some of the pricing in the past in terms of uh and i say recently but you're wearing one well, i'm wearing one <laughs> a limited uh, edition no less edition, yes uh, we'll do the wrist checks in a minute how do you and we've spoken to a number of companies yeah. about how they build up the actual rrp of their watch and obviously watches are high margin products are luxury goods so they can take a high margin and there's lots of cost and i've the one thing i've never yeah. criticized although i've maybe said i don't understand the pricing of that i'll never criticize anyone for trying to make money because you don't make the money you've not well, you a business invest. and you, you can't, can't, invest, you can't yeah. invest so to what extent is the pricing that you put into your watches a reflection of needing to make X from the watch because of the watch versus also having to position the brand within a certain sphere of pricing bands so that it's going up against Omegas and Rolexes and all the rest well, of it. Yeah. And also then contributing the millions of pounds that are needed into the future to, to drive the innovation and uh, further production forward. What's the kind of sum you do in your head for that? Well, we won't make as much money at all as you know, some of the mega Swiss brands yes. just because of oh, economies of scale. It's yep. impossible. I think also when you make the decision early on to say, right, we're going to make it all in the UK, you suddenly got all the apprenticeship costs. You've got making a case for us in the UK is a lot, lot more money than making a case in China. Um, it just is um, because, well, for obvious reasons. But we have other things we can control. Um, we control our supply chain. We are, we're dependent on a bar of metal coming through the door, yes. which is a lovely feeling. But still, you've got this incredibly sophisticated 11-axis CNC mill-turning machine with someone, ex-Formula One, running this machine. You know, that's a cost which they're not incurring necessarily abroad. Um, and I would say 90, God, whatever percent of watch cases, you know, are made in, you know, not necessarily in the UK or Switzerland yeah. or whatever. So, so we're competing with that. And that's the price. But um, we also, you know, we, the, the effort that goes into making sure the finishing, you can have a, this is what I find quite interesting, you know, you can have a 7750 movement in a $600 watch. You can have it in a $20,000 watch, but it's, it's what they do to that movement. It's the finishing. It's the parts of that 1750. It's the modules they put on it. But people look at the 1750 base, and it's, um, again, it's the little thing where a little bit of knowledge is a, is a dangerous thing. Well, do you know what I mean? It's, um, it's, 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 it's fascinating, isn't it? Um, but we have done it based on cost plus. Mm -hmm. So we are not trying to... Um, and we do, you know, and as you, as you grow, you can bring the price down a little bit for yep. some things. So we've done this MOD, you know, we're part of the Ministry of Defense and uh, Her Majesty's Armed Forces, that range of watches. We've simplified it. Our cases are really complex. Yes. If you, if you, if you this, this triptych case, the... the, the it's spectacular. I mean, I'll never criticize... The luck shape and stuff. But, but if, if you nice. talk to an engineer and you say, because we tried for several years to get that made in the UK first, rather than Switzerland, and it was really hard really hard because it's you've got the undercutting you've got the you know there's a lot that goes into that case um 
And that's what you pay for as well. So most cases are two pieces, like bang, bang. So our military watches are cheaper, you know, the case design. Yeah. But then we can reflect that in the price. But it's still chronometer rated movements. And we don't want to compromise on that. But we, what, what do you think the value is in, in sticking with the cost from um, your point of view? You know, I, we, I, th I think the... Um, but is there a point in your, in your development that you think actually we're now well known for making great watches and... We, we can now say this will keep time to X and Y. Oh, we yeah, don't yeah. need COSC uh, to, to back that up for us. Possibly one day. Um, we've already um, started doing our own standard. So it's tested in Switzerland by the same organizations, but we, because um, we're British and we're assembling over here, we're not testing that. Yeah. We're not, we can't use COSC anyway um, because uh, the watch isn't assembled in Switzerland. Yeah. And, you know, they see, they can see that so they're not, they're not daft and, and we have a great relationship. We said, we've come up with our own Bremont ISO 3159 standard, which is, yeah. you know, if you look at that, that's exactly the same as a cost, but we can, you know, when we do our British movement, we might extend that and you can do, a, you know, a longer test perhaps. So yeah. there's, um, I think it's important when you're a, a, a younger brand now, as we get a bit old, it probably less relevant. You know, if, if we're, um, regulating a watch, you know, cost is plus six, minus four. We'll regulate a watch. It goes out two or three seconds fast. That is what we want to do um, because nobody minds a watch a tiny bit fast. But if we send one out four seconds slow, it's still within cost, but people it's get annoyed. Pain. It's yeah. a bit annoying. So, so cost is, I think what cost is important for, it means it shows that end purchaser that the parts in that movement are of a certain standard. You know, you're getting a movement tested in a different country. Yes. You'll bring it, you know, you, by the time you've assembled it in the watch, for goodness sake, you know, you'll be slightly naive to think that a lot of regulation and altering that movement hasn't gone on because we are going to make sure that watch is down perfect and it'll be tested for weeks in our workshop. Um, so what is the number you aim for at Bremont? Is it similar to kind of Rolex, minus two, plus two, or is it within sort of the cost areas? Well, it's definitely it's definitely within cost, but we as I said, we'll send it out so it's plus two or three seconds fast, and and it has to be pretty much within that when we send it out. But as you know, you can knock a watch hard, you can do various, you can magnetize your watch, you can do lots of things which can affect that. But um, that's what we aim to do, and they will they'll keep that time, which is again a six hundred dollar watch with a mechanical movement. You might be really lucky and got a complete gem, but most of the time it'll be less than that so yeah. so um and also what i love is you turn the back off in fact you turn a, a beautifully finished watch over and you just look at the finishing and it's it's, it's like buying a beautiful shotgun or something is you can get the 1500 quid one or you can get that 30 grand one which um which i don't have by the way but <laughs> but you look at it and it's been handmade it's had a lot of time and effort put into it it's a beautiful thing to look at yeah one of the things bremon watches are quite famous for is their inclusion in different movies so how did you guys, as a relatively new brand, get involved with Hollywood and uh, like Kingsman, Venom, those kind of movies? How did that all come about? And was it difficult to break in? You know, all that sort of stuff's complete and utter luck. I know it sounds as in it's relationships and it's um, Kingsman. I'll tell you how that happened. That was um, a really lovely story. So Matthew Vaughan was, um, came into our boutique. His best man wore Bremer. He wanted something for the film, which he knew about. We're doing quite a lot of watches for whether it's counter-terrorism units and a lot of those sort of uh, outfits anyway. Um, and it had the credibility for the film. It was British. He quite liked the British thing. And he did his research. 
And it went backwards and forwards a little bit. And he said, look, I love this. It's very authentic. And the authenticity for him was very, very important, which I think is really important for any brand, actually. Yeah. So, so that's how that happened. And it was purely based on relationship and um, his love of watches and, and seeing, showing him what we're doing. So yeah. actually him and his guys coming and seeing what we're doing in Henley. So it's actually, you and know. Was it you or was it your brother that ended up in the film? I did, but you have to, you, know, you blink and you miss it. You don't really, you, you. A hologram I'm, I'm on a Kingsman around there on the table. But what a great, lovely experience. So that yeah. was quite fun. And then some, something like Venom, again, through the Millet's Connection, Tom. And, and those on the Kingsman, you're as well, that tag took over for the next film because the second film was rubbish. It was crap. Crap, but also, no, no, but also, they wanted to go down the smartwatch route. Yeah, yeah. It's and well, we didn't want to well do a smartwatch. Left, so leave them to it. The second no, film was no, awful. but it's um, yeah, the film. I love the authenticity of the first film. It's great. Oh, it's really it is, good. It is yeah. really good, and I think yeah. they'll go back to that as well. But they've all been very successful, and he's done a brilliant job. But the um, uh, the Venom was. Tom's always been a big friend, friend of the brand. Anyway, is so. he an ambassador for you guys as well? Is no, I'd call him friend of the brand. Just I mean, friend. it's just, but he's got a fair share of them, and he. Um, Again, there's a military connection there and he's got some mutual mates and stuff. So, um, But a, a lot of these people are, again, the same thing. He said, why do people buy into Bremont in the first place? It's that love of all things mechanical and engineering. And a lot of our friends of the brand, you know, we don't pay these guys money, but they, they suddenly see what the brand's about and they'll come to Henley. They'll, see, they'll get completely engrossed in seeing, my gosh, and they'll, they'll love the fact they've met the watchmaker who's putting it together and they'll see the training scheme and that person who's enthusiastic. They've come out of college and they're three years later, they're putting these things together. And, you know, I think they, they, and they ride motorbikes, a lot of these yeah. guys, and they, they just love mechanical things, which I love. And we can talk to the cows going home. I well, think. speaking of motorbikes, let's do a quick wristwatch check because we forgot to do that. Since you're the guest, tell us what you're wearing. Um, I'm wearing a prototype right flyer, actually, because I still think it's arguably the nicest watch who's ever made because um you know we joked about the movement earlier but this one this proprietary whatever you want to call it movement we built with azure and we built quite a few of the parts ourselves it's the first movement we did a chunk ourselves right and um you know when you turn it over i mean it doesn't say anything about right flyer at all on the dial it's just a i think a yeah. quite a beautiful timeless watch but if you if you turn it over, you've got this little time capsule on the back. You've got this beautiful movement, again, the finishing. But that's part of the, um, you know, that is part of uh, the muslin from the wing of the 1903 right flyer. I, I think that's, oh, and, no, and, and, a, and actually, unless you're pointed out, you'd never know what it was. So yeah. I, I don't think it's, um, it's gimmicky. I think it's just, um, it's just a, a lovely piece of history. And actually that raised several hundred thousand dollars for the restoration of the Wright family home in Dayton, Ohio, to convert it into a museum, which I think is a lovely story. So we could do we could get Bremont to do like a limited edition for ten us. and two so as they could buy a house rather than continuing <laughs> to live in a caravan and a trailer park. That'd be good. Uh, I, I notice you're are you a lefty or are you I know so you can see all my scars from Oh right, okay, I've got them. Oh have you? <laughs> Not from crashing planes. So this or? one it just rubs okay. on this and it's sort of ah, metal right, up okay. here. So it just um ever since right the accident hand. I always yeah. wore my hand ah, yeah, right, on the okay, right hand cool. side actually. So good. But um, you have a look. Yeah. No, they're pretty. They're they're cool watch. Right. Well, have you got Rick? You should well, have actually not normally got, just, not got a panerai. Do, I would normally be wearing that. Oh. I should probably return to the wrist later on. <laughs> but I am in fact wearing my own Bremen or Bremont, which is the Boeing 
Hundredth anniversary one. Hundredth anniversary. This is number three hundred of three hundred. Oh wow! Uh, you need to sign it for. Uh, yeah, them later. we're going to get you to sign the back of it. But I'm not sure <laughs> that really works as a strategy because it'll rub off. I'm sure <laughs> we can do something. In, so uh, yeah, I, I, it is. It's a cracking watch. The triptych cases on these are. What does phenomenal. that mean? You didn't explain triptych. Does, yeah. So it means it's made of three parts. So if you look at it, the side you'll see there's a middle. Uh, middle section, which on this is what that material is. So that's that'll be. Um, is, this, is this the? Oh, it's all titanium. It's all, it's all, it's all titanium. So there's a titanium case back, a titanium core, and then the lugs, which the, are part bezel, of yeah. the face and bezel, loop over the top, and it's all secured together. And it effectively means that the movement uh, it doesn't float. It's not an MBMF, but it gives it additional shock protection. You don't know more about this. Than yeah. You. So this has so the, the this has a sort of Martin Baker technology in it as yes. well to a certain extent. So the whole movement is suspended in this rubberized movement now. Mm. Ah, so like a G-Shock. What well, it is, it's, it's a bit of a G-Shock for mechanical watches. Yeah. So we went through all this test with Martin Baker, and they wanted the watch range because they wanted to sell it. If you've ejected, they've saved 7,500 lives to date, this British ejection seat manufacturer. So F-35s use them, F-18s, Tornadoes, Typhoons. They all use you know, the Harrier in its day. They all use Martin Baker seats. And they've saved 7,500 lives to date from people pulling the cord. And they came to us in over 10 years ago 12 years ago and said look we want to produce a watch which is beautifully engineered um but um can go through the same testing as the seats themselves and giles giles and i thought of course we'll put a logo on a watch we can do this no problem and actually the watches were falling apart because you're doing 40 years worth of vibration testing you're mm -hmm. doing shock testing you're doing climatic tests so they got the incredible environmental testing facility so we had an, uh, an amazing technical director at the time who since retired a chap called Steve, uh, peter roberts who uh, um, again, taught at Worcester, um, sorry, um, Hackney Watch College and other things. Right, so okay. Really lovely guy. And he said, why don't you, why don't we design a movement mount? So the movement, and it's a sort of rubberized suspended movement mount. And these watches started passing these tests. And that's where the Martin Baker range, the MB range of watches came out for Bremer. Um, and that's the one, if you see someone with a red barrel. Yep. They it, bought it from someone that ejected. <laughs> that, and they've paid probably £25,000 for the pleasure. So this has got carbon fiber in it as well, in the crown? Yes. In the crown, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's quite spectacular to watch that one because it is a chronograph, it's a GMT, and it's got a rotating timing bezel, and it's 100 meters water resistant. So actually, other than the fact that that's got a leather strap on it rather than a metal bracelet, it can pretty much do anything, go anywhere. It's not going to knock up very easily. Uh, I like the rifling. The rifling's good. Everywhere. It, yeah. It, is very tactile and unlike a Daytona, you can actually read it. And it's actually, it's very, it's very um, light as well, isn't it? Yes, it's, it's, lo it's a lovely watch. Unlike lovely yourself, right? Unlike myself, yeah. Fat so that I am. Oh, yeah. It's not too bad. It's, it's, it's a myth that he likes to create. <laughs> and uh, the other thing, so that's a 77, <laughs> that's a 7750 movement in is the back. It? Yeah, which has all been tarted up. So it is the same kind of it's as the same one in mind. So that's wearing. a 54, isn't it? So that, that's been built by, that was a Le Jupere movement. Based on the Sense M54. And today I'm wearing my Tudor Fast Rider Black Shield Ceramic, which has got the 7753. That's a super watch. The Ducati edition. Oh, fantastic. Uh, He's about as good at riding motorcycles as you are at flying planes. Hey, I've only crashed one. Worth. <laughs> only no, crashed I, one. I come off bikes the whole time as well. So, <laughs> no, that's so that great. One there, it's um, 150 meters watt resistant, fully ceramic. It's got a stainless steel tub inside. I'm noticing right now, you're, you appear to be wearing green woolly socks. That's grey. Is it? Dark okay, grey. Okay. Yeah. Your colour <laughs> wound as well as deaf. 
<laughs> That's lovely. Mm. So you got a Ducati, do you? No, I do not. I've got a real bike. Oh, okay. <laughs> Suzuki. All <laughs> right. That's yeah. lovely. I've got a GSX R750 just now. But uh, no, I do like the, the Ducatis, but maybe in the future. Yeah. Maybe in the future. But no, this was the second watch that I ever got. And it was because the dealership that I bought, my first decent watch that I kept, my Rolex, they used to do Tudor, but they were getting rid of them. So that was brand new, never worn, stickers, box, for half price. £1,700 for a ceramic watch from Tudor. Can't say no uh, to which, that. Which is, and, uh, and they, do, they do make great watches. Yeah. So what other watches will you can, of other brands will you confess to owning? <laughs> <laughs> or are you just a... going to tell us no no I'll never no I mean no, no do you know I, I, most they're all vintage really right, okay so yeah. you know we've got our father's old Navitimer from 67 which he won in a RF competition cool. which means a huge amount but they are delicate yeah. you know yeah. you knock them and things happen to them but it's uh, it's a beautiful thing I'll uh, mark 10 IWC which are yes. lovely but then there's things like um you know quick old smiths things right. from the past which I you know, they're quite rough and ready, aren't they? But mm. the fact, you know, that was probably the last manufacturer in, in the UK making watches on any scale, um, which I love, um, yeah. the fact that they're doing that. So, yeah, watches like that. So, And, and that's obviously, Smith's is obviously an old uh, British brand. How do you find the relationship is between yourself and other, well, all British brands together? Is there a kind of camaraderie united of, front? Of, of a, a united kingdom? I wish of it was more... Okay. I wish there was more of a United Front. I generally do. And um, To what end? What well, do you no, feel I, you would want a United Front? Well, I'd like to know uh, a couple. Okay. There's, um, you know, what defines a British watch? Yeah. For a start. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think probably there should be some kind of kite mark out there or something okay. saying, yeah. like the Swiss do, yeah. you know, British brand, but, but possibly, I don't know. And I think everyone, you know, should be very open about which i think most people are saying that we're we're british brand but building abroad but yeah um but i think there is a differentiation there i think um i think it's silly not to work together because i think we could all help each other um i do love what you know few of them are doing in the uk like you know roger roger smith you know what he's doing isle of man but ricky taught him everything he knows well done <laughs> well don't you know and fraudshams of this world they're all they're doing some 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 great stuff um but it's um which we're, we're not trying to do what roger does we're trying to do something a bit more scale yeah. because you know we're not making 10 or 15 watches a year um but I love the fact he's doing it over there. I, I I love the fact we're we've got you know when we started we couldn't find watchmakers and we're training these people up. I love to get if you're you know we genuinely want to come down and have a look. I'll be delighted to show you yeah. guys around. Perhaps when the new facility's up and running yeah. in 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 July. But if you're still alive, Rick. If I've survived, yeah. Wait, we're from cholesterol poisoning or something. <laughs> hey, don't you get on the bandwagon. You've only just met me. That's unfair. I'm going to... Um, I'm, I'm discrimination. Where there's blame, there's a claim. <laughs> I'm um, going to have a trip or a fall in your new factory. Then you'll this is a very it. shiny floor, Rick. You may not shiny last the night. <laughs> just going to have one of those industrial accidents at the new Bremen yes. factory. It'll be closed within a week. Yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> well, listen, before we, we finish up, because it's nearly coming to that time, Regarding getting these things in your watches, how do you end up with parts of the right flyer? Well, Was this a balaclava and crowbar type affair? <laughs> we said that. We had that nearly on our, uh, on our factory the other day. People <laughs> jumping over the fence. Um, we... Christopher walled at it again. <laughs> I know. Mike Franz, you can't take that man anywhere. <laughs> no, we, we um, I think we did, I think uh, after you've done two or three of them, and these, you know, 10 years ago or however many, seven or eight years ago, the um 
it becomes easier. And actually, we've uh, often been approached um, through people we know. So it's um, so, for example, um, Amanda Wright, Wright family. Um, they didn't want to. They wanted to make this museum. Where do you get the funding from? They didn't want to be seen to sell this material quite rightly because it's like selling the family silver isn't it this material is left by orville wright in 1948 when he died swatches of it have been sewn into neil armstrong's suit when he flew to the moon only time had ever been given out parts you know presidents have been and given omega by- haven't produced a limited edition for that <laughs> <laughs> but do you know what i mean so it's quite sad. and i remember when i met her in new york for the first time she gave me this material it's like oh my gosh this is proper aviation history and the fact is you can wear this watch no dude ever know and I love that, and I love that. Yet, what a lovely dinner party that you can turn it over, and it's you know, it's, it's a lecture piece. It is a bit, it is a bit, and and yeah. so it happens. And we know, you know, there's um, people we've met over the years, really, and a lot of things you get approached or you're just not interested. Um, but it normally involves a passion for Giles and I. So we have done things like Bletchley Park. I've always been fascinated by World War II history. It's just, you know, my wife despairs the amount of wartime books I read, but it's generally interesting. So when you know what these incredible Aturians, the Jerry Flowers, the these incredible wrens at Bletchley Park were doing, it's an amazing story. Um, And, you know, when you look at the bombs machine working or you look at Enigma, you know, what that was doing and mechanics in a watch. So the the thing is basically... They all tie together. They all do tie together. And I think the nice thing is you can wear these things and nobody knows. That's, that's for me there. Cool. Thing. So what's next? What next for us is um, obviously this, the big things, two big things are this movement we've been working on and this new facility. And that's uh, no mean sort of undertaking. So the new facility is going to be, what's it, 35, 40,000 square feet. And are you getting rid of the old facilities? So we've got, we're in two or three different locations mm. at the moment yeah. and they're all be coming under one roof. And you just rent the other places and they just go back to the landlords or yourself? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, no, no. So we will be getting rid of the others and, and all be going to this new place. But the nice thing about the new place is it's designed to bring people around. And then if Giles and I can look back in, yeah, in 20 years hence, we can look back and see what was Bremont about. If it could have played, if we could have played a, even a small part in the reinvigoration of watchmaking in this country would be absolutely delighted. Have you got bits of the plane that you crashed in the field in France? Um, it wasn't a crash. Well, <laughs> you, you <laughs> accidentally <laughs> landed Yeah, it's precautionary okay, landing. Pre- is, okay, precaution. Have you still got the plane that you precautionarily landed in France? No, we didn't. We you didn't saw, keep any said, of it? No, we didn't. Because that should be what's got lots of photographs. A bit of that plane no, in the back of the No, we're not. We're not so we're, yeah, possibly. <laughs> but um, I think with our limited, also the historical ones, you yeah. know, we've done, this will be our ninth this year. Um, Can you recite like, them all in order? <laughs> so we did EP120, which was parts of very, very, famous. this is the first one we did. And it was uh, a friend of ours who owned his incredible collection of aircraft. And this particular Spitfire shot down numerous aircraft during the war, pretty much unrestored, beautiful, beautiful aircraft, base of Duxford. And he gave us some of this material and, and we integrated that into the rotor. And it's just a lovely thing. And we only made 120 of them. And how many years before IWC? <laughs> Well, uh, well, this is so. This is two thousand and eight. I never quite understood IWC in the Spitfire thing. It's a jealousy. Bit, it's a yeah. bit galling, but no, but but they're, they're just the name. This yeah, lovely yeah. watches, but yeah, the game. Yeah, so we did that, and we they're six and a half thousand pounds that they came out. They're probably about twenty six thousand pounds now if you can get a hold of them. So they've very low volume yeah. watches. Then we did the P fifty one, which is based on fragile but agile. Uh, this American collector, again, yeah. a very famous Pacific War veteran Mustang, and this is our background you know our father owned a spitfire we just is 
in our blood, this sort of stuff. Then the third one was HMS Victory. So we, Giles and I are ambassadors for all Navy heritage flight. So keeping their aircraft in the air. So we chatted to the first sea lord and he said, right, we want to try and restore HMS Victory. Any funds we can raise will be great. So we did that. Then we did Codebreaker, which was, um, which is, a, you know, incredible thing. Um, you're going to catch me out here. Then we did, um, <laughs> uh, we did uh, the right flyer, um, which See, I, the, the other brother would have known this. No. <laughs> yeah, really quickly. Then we did 1918, <laughs> which was 100 years of the um, RAF. And that is quite special. Turn it over and you've got original SC-5 from the First World War. And you've got three Battle of Britain aircraft all in the rotor. But again, you wouldn't know from the front. And that was done to raise money for RF Association. Then we did um, uh, Supersonic last year, which was 100 years of uh, BA and 50 years of Concorde. And to not celebrate Concorde was sort of quite sacrilege. That was just the most. And and the more you get into that story, the more amazing it gets. So so that was incredible. And then this year is the H4. So... um, Hope I haven't left one out there. Number but it should ten. be that's in number nine. It's a bit like Tarantino, get to ten, and then we're gonna figure out what we're gonna do. <laughs> number ten, do you already know what it is? Yeah. And that's an amazing, gonna amazing gonna honestly share, blows share. your mind. Hint, hint, hint. No. Okay, I was, okay, I was okay. saying it was going to be a Christmas edition with a Turin Shroud inside it. It's not aviation. I think it's gonna be a bre- I think it's gonna be a Brexit edition. It's gonna have Jean Claude Juncker's underpants <laughs> samples uh, in it. But so it's not aviation, so is it military? It's um it's I'm not it's it's neither of those two actually I'll tell you that All much. Right, so it's nothing to do with the military. No. Nope. Ooh, interesting. But it and is it's it not is aviation. A, it must be a historical sea then. No, it's 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 a not a Titanic beaut- watch, is it? <laughs> not a Titanic, but a beautiful, beautiful story. And cool. um Yes, we'll see how that one goes. I'm wrecking Tor. What's his name? Kentucky, maybe? No, we've had Kentucky divers. I don't think of famous boats. Are you guys... Boaty McBoatface. Boaty McBoatface, yes. I know, I know. I know. Big one. Boaty McBoatface You was. two weren't involved in the name of that, were you? I bet you... Well... <laughs> <laughs> We've tried to name several other things that. Uh, yes. It was a gore for the name of this podcast at one stage. Yes. Watchy McWatchface. Brian Wood, who I'm talking with tonight, he um, won a military cross for an incredibly brave battle at um, in Iraq. Um, mm. And then he was one of the guys who was taken to court by an unscrupulous lawyer who just made up a whole load of lies. I don't know, you probably remember. Yep. And he had a nightmare for eight to 10 years till they were completely exonerated. And the lawyer who just made up the stuff went to Iraqis and said, look, just pretend this guy mistreated you and, um, and we get some compensation. That went on for eight years until this guy finally was disbarred, hung, drawn and quartered for just completely lying. And so going from this hero willing, winning the military cross to going through 10 years of, and then making a feature film about oh, it. Wow. So it's an incredible story. So we've got to go up there now. He's talking 10, 15 minutes. It honors his story is quite phenomenal. Fantastic. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. Before you go, can you tell our listeners where's the best place to find out about Bremont? Would it be your website, your Instagram? Where should they go? Yeah, obviously, Bremont.com has got everything on there. Um, there's some fun bits like you can go to Bremont Military on Instagram and you can see some amazing photographs of amazing people doing amazing things around the world from the military community. Think of Catlin poses in F-16s. Oofed. Or 80,000 feet in spy planes. and stuff. People send the most amazing photographs. That's quite fun. And obviously Insta and, and Twitter were on there as well. But also, you know, if you're in Edinburgh, you know, where Chisholm Hunter here, we've got some 
there's some great people here who can uh, talk you through the product too. Big thanks to Chris for letting us use his facilities yeah. to record them. Right, exactly. We didn't have to switch his fridge off or move it out <laughs> of the wall like we did last time. So uh, yeah, without further ado, goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from them. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks so much. Thank you.